This podcast is sponsored by the Davenant Institute and Davenant Hall, reimagining theological education. Visit davenanthall.com. The Davenant Institute seeks to retrieve the riches of classical Protestantism to renew and build up the contemporary church. Key to this mission is their educational arm, Davenant Hall. In an age where much theological education both overlooks the riches of church history and keeps students in debt, Davenant Hall is reimagining theological education. Davenant Hall takes full advantage of digital technology to make high-quality theological education affordable via online courses. Students can simply audit a single class or enroll in a degree program, including subject-specific certificates, PhD supervision, and the flagship MLIT program, which includes pastoral tracks for Baptist, Anglican, and Reformed or Presbyterian ministry. Enroll in classes at any time during the academic year. Knowing that in-person fellowship is key to Christian formation, Davenant hosts regular residentials at their study center in the beautiful Blue Ridge Mountains of South Carolina. Registration for spring term 2024 classes running April to June is now open. Register by March 27th. Fees start at just $225 for a 10-week class with a two-hour Zoom class from expert professors each week. Spring term classes include Male and Female in Modernity with Alistair Roberts, The Reformation and the Modern World with Michael Lynch, Philosophy as a Way of Life with Joseph Minnick and more. Visit DavenantHall.com to find out more. That's DavenantHall.com. This podcast is sponsored by ReformationSites.com, church websites for a modern reformation. Listen for a special May offer at the conclusion of today's program. If you want to grow in the, the fear of the Lord, there is a necessity for you to spend time reading, meditating upon the scriptures and being intentional about obeying them. Hello and welcome to Theology on the Go. My name is Jonathan Master. I am joined by my friend and co-host, James Dolezal. James, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm uh, looking forward to our conversation with a mutual friend. Yeah, mutual friend, former colleague, future colleague for you, uh, right. a, a man who can who can speak intelligently on on nearly any topic. Dean of the School of Divinity at Cairn University, Dr. Keith Plummer. Keith, thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much for the invitation. It's always good to talk to both of you. We enjoy talking to you as well. And today, our topic of conversation is the fear of God and the fear of man. And really what stimulated this was an address that you gave at Cairn University back in the fall that we wanted to pick up on and and draw out some of the themes of. And so why don't we just start with this? One of the observations that I often make to my class, in fact, I was making it to one of my classes yesterday, was um, that, that the the fearing God, being a God-fearing man, as it's often put in the Old Testament, is one of the principal ways that the Bible refers to the believer as a, as a yes. God-fearing person, one who fears God. Why is the why is the fear of God so central to our understanding of what it means to be a believer? And then and then what is the fear of God? Because I think there there can be confusion about that as well. Yes. One of the reasons that I wanted to do this in chapel was because 
there was so much uh, news about the anxiety and the fear and the lives of young people, particularly college students. And uh, I see the fear of the Lord as it is presented in Scripture as something that is intended to give security and courage to the hearts of God's people. And unfortunately, as prominent a theme as it is in the Scriptures, I don't hear a whole lot about it in terms of preaching and teaching. And so I wanted to uh, address that. Uh, The fear of the Lord is, you know, we have some of our catchphrases that we use that are kind of uh, slogans like reverential awe, that I think that there is something to that, but I don't think that that says enough. I think when people, when Christians think about the fear of God, they go immediately to those passages that um, tell us not to fear, and they play those against other passages that do call us to fear the Lord. So, for example, well, perfect, perfect love casts out fear, and we might reason inappropriately. Therefore, there is no proper place for the fear of the Lord. But when you read the scriptures, this theme is so predominant. And there, I'm still trying to come up with a definition to my own satisfaction. But when I begin to try to explain it to people, I say, the fear of the Lord is recognizing God's centrality and supremacy in life and organizing one's life around and under that. There is a sense in which fearing God has to do with the acknowledgement of his power and of his holiness. But for the believer, there is also this idea of the fear of the Lord encompasses trust in, delight in, love of, and obedience to God. Uh, Sometimes people will make a distinction between Um, servile fear, the fear that, uh, say, a servant would have of a master where there's no relationship other than that, and filial fear, which would be the proper respect and fear that a son or daughter would have for a, a parent. And that is clearly what you see throughout the scriptures when the fear of the Lord is enjoined of God's redeemed people. Keith, why do you think it is that there's you you mentioned a scantness of uh, attention to this topic, uh, maybe in the modern pulpit uh, and even among uh, our young people in the university? Why do you think there is this modern aversion uh, to this really ubiquitous biblical topic? I think there are several contributing factors. One is, as I as I mentioned, I think that we are paying attention to the numerous uh, times where God is calling his people not to fear, and we're universalizing that such that it does away with any sense of fear. But I also think that there is a desire to present God in a manner that is so approachable that we want to shave off some of the edges that might be some ways intimidating or um, fear-inducing. So I think that that is is part of it. But when someone, one of the things that I brought out in the um, message was that in our call to be like Christ, the Hebrew scriptures present Jesus, the Messiah, as one upon whom the 
the spirit of the fear of the Lord would be. And in Isaiah 11, the first few verses, um, there is this description, and his delight will be in the fear of the Lord. So whatever the fear of the Lord is with respect to God's redeemed people, if we say that there's no place for it in the life of a believer, we've got to contend with the fact that our Lord is described as one upon whom the spirit of the fear of the Lord rested, and he found pleasure. He delighted as a full man in the fear of the Lord. It sounds like too, Keith, one of the almost at least initially seemingly paradoxical contentions that you're you're making is that actually an appropriate fear of the Lord, which which includes things that may be uncomfortable to us or not fashionable right now to talk about, is is a necessary uh, it's an it's a necessary element of our lives if we're not going to be overly afraid of men. I mean, that was the connection you were making, right? You started from the perspective of this pervasive anxiety that people feel, and what you're saying, and I think it's exactly right, and it's biblical, is the antidote to that actually is fear of the Lord. Yes. We ignore the fear of the Lord to our own peril. The fear of the Lord is presented in the scriptures as something without which, not that we will be absent of fear, but we will be overwhelmed and overcome of by lesser fears. Um, one of the one of the books that I made mention of was a little book by John Flavel, Triumphing Over Sinful Fear, and one of the things that he says in that work is, "The fear of God will swallow up the fear of man." A reverential awe and dread of God will extinguish the creature's slavish fear as the rain puts out the fire. And I, I love that. So how does that work? Un unpack that a little bit for us, Keith. That's a, that's a tremendous quote. Um, but why is that? What, what, why is it that my growing fear of the Lord actually then subsumes or takes over or 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 relativizes these other anxieties and fears I, I feel. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Putting it relativizes the other fears. It, it puts other things, other, it puts creatures in their proper perspective in light of God. And the fact that this God who is so um, infinite and perfect in all of his ways is my father. And I stand in a relationship with him such that I can face life with a security and I'm seeing other people. I'm seeing, and I'm, I'm saying people because that's where I really focused. Proverbs 29 says, the fear of man is a snare, it's a trap, but he who trusts in the Lord will be safe. Um, as I grow in the fear of God, which, as we said, encompasses my reverence for him, my love and trust of him, and I'm seeing him as the supreme one that he is, the things that I tend to magnify that seem so large become um, placed in their proper place, and they're not seen to be so great. So um, Ed Welch at uh, CCEF, a book of his just recently released in uh, 
a new addition. Uh, when people are big and God is small, is drawing on that idea, hearkening back to when the uh, 10 Israelite spies who spied out the land came back and says, you know, there were giants in the land and we were as grasshoppers in their eyes and in our own. And it's, it's Joshua and Caleb who say, no, let's go. Why? Not because they had a sense of their own strength and sufficiency, but because they had this sense of who God is, what he had promised, that he was with and for them. And though there were, in fact, very large threats, they were seen relatively to the one who had entered into this covenantal relationship with all of its promises to his people. And that is what enabled them to say, let us go. Keith, I, I wonder if we can talk for a moment about the sort of concrete modern context. And I'm thinking particularly in the, in the uh, first world where the fear of man uh, sort of intrudes itself upon us uh, when the exiles came back to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and the temple. Uh, you had Sanballat and Tobiah um, who were intimidating them and threatening them, and the people were shaken uh, and yet remained steadfast and feared the Lord and did his will. What are, and this is something I know you've thought a good bit about, what are some of the, the modern ways uh, in which the intimidation of fear of man tries to find us and, and shake us uh, in our faithfulness to the Lord? I'm thinking particularly of the new inroads uh, that that fear of man might be able to make uh, technologically. Yes, and, and that was something that I did want to focus on with our students in chapel, uh, because I think that the fear of man, while it is intrinsic to the fallen human heart, it's nothing new, but it has been exacerbated tremendously, particularly by our age of being hyper-connected. And I'm, I, I dealt with in my message specifically some of the factors revolving around social media and the idea that social media does fan the flames of the fear of man in the sense of people are fearful of saying the wrong thing and therefore being swarmed upon or canceled or whatever. And uh, we're, we're now living in a time in which this is a continuous thing, and particularly in the lives of um, adolescents, teens, young adults, uh, and beyond that. In, in many ways, there is a cross-generational phenomenon there. And so I think that that is part of our new ethos that really does play upon and feed the flames of the fear of man. Keith, we're nearing the end of our time, but I wanted to ask you, so if, if I'm uh, listening to your address as a student or, or even someone listening to this podcast interview and and the connection is starting to be made in my mind that yes, I have all these anxieties perhaps exacerbated by technology and other things and, and the connectedness, but, and what I need is the fear of God. Um, mm -hmm. How do I grow in that? How do I cultivate 
an appropriate and biblical fear of the Lord because that's what we're, we're, we're commanded to, to have. Well, one of the ways that I made mention of is um, through the, the scriptures themselves. Uh, one of the passages that I referenced was Deuteronomy 17, where Moses is prophesying about uh, the, the future king when Israel has a king. And what are some of the requirements that um, are upon him? And he says, this is, this is from verses 18 through 20, when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of the law approved by the Levitical priest, and it shall be with him, and he shall read it in it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. So the, the word of God is the means by which the fear of the Lord is learned, or one of the means. And a result of this is he is to fear the Lord by keeping all the words of his law and the statutes. So I think we grow in the fear of the Lord from reading, meditating upon the scriptures, but also by obeying the scriptures. Our obedience is evidence of and a contribution to further fear of the Lord. And Moses goes on to say that this is for the purpose of his heart not being exalted among his brothers and that he might uh, live obediently and faithfully to God. So I would say to anyone who's hearing this, if you want to grow in the, the fear of the Lord, there is a necessity for you to spend time reading, meditating upon the scriptures and being intentional about obeying them. That would be the first place that I would, I would direct someone who's saying, this is starting to click. Keith, as always, it's a pleasure to speak with you. And, um, and, and so thanks for giving us some time today. Thanks for your ongoing friendship as well. But, but for your time today, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, I am looking forward to being a colleague again with uh, James. I still miss you, Jonathan. I am, <laughs> though, very grateful for uh, your friendship, your example as the, the dean here prior to me, and your ongoing encouragement and assistance. It's always a pleasure to be with you both. Thank you, Thanks, Keith. Keith. That means a lot. Did you know that most people view a church's website before they'll ever step foot in the door? So how's your church's site? Would an online visitor searching for a church home find it inviting? Does it reflect your ministry as it should? Perhaps it's time to start a new site for your church that reaches out more effectively with a design that engages visitors while keeping members connected. Reformation Sites has beautiful, mobile-ready designs to choose from, helpful service, and useful features such as sermon manager, online bulletins, ministries, books, and notifications. It also integrates with other popular services like sermon audio, live streaming, and online giving with pricing that fits into any church budget. In the month of May, we're offering 15% off the website setup fee. Get started by using coupon code RS15 when you go to reformationsites.com. Reformation Sites, church websites for a modern reformation.